such if faith if faith was easy I don't know if I'm saying this right but I'm just thinking if faith was easy I don't think it would count for much yeah if our faith rather let's put it this way if our faith is not challenged it really doesn't count for much that way let's put it that way Faith requires and needs to be challenged so that once it's challenged, it is built. That's how our faith is built, church. And we trust in God no matter what is happening in our lives. We trust in Him. And that song is so powerful. And we know the story behind the song about this person who lost his whole family and penned this song. It is well with my soul. Yes. What an amazing way to, to, trust, to trust God Hallelujah. in those hard times. Amen? Amen. Uh, today is the first day of November. Amen. And it's Thanksgiving season. And so uh, just a reminder that on the 22nd, that's the week, the Sunday before Thanksgiving, we are having our uh, special combined service. With the, It's been a while since we had a combined service. And so we're going to have a special Thanksgiving service uh, on the 22nd. But something else that I really feel uh, led to, and this is something I know we were talking about. We normally at Thanksgiving, we do something, and, uh, you know, very often we take up, like, uh, special, uh, you know, just do, we help people out and everything else during Thanksgiving. And, and this time, I just, I just really felt led, and I know if, uh, a couple of people just talked about it in the past, and I want to take up a special Thanksgiving offering on Thanksgiving. And I'm going to take up this offering, and this offering is going to go towards our building fund. Uh, we know we spent a lot of money trying to get this uh, do as much as we could right now. But I really felt, you know, we give. Why do we give, church? Because we are grateful for what God has done for us on the cross. Amen. We don't give because He's given us. We give because we are grateful for what He has already done for us. And yes, he has blessed us. And this Thanksgiving, I wanted to pray about it. And as we bring, in the Old Testament, they brought gifts. You know, there was a sacrifice of Thanksgiving that they brought to the temple. And I want to encourage you. And I really, and I promise you, I've thought about this and prayed about this for a while. I encourage us as a church, let's do it. Pray about it and let's, let's do it. Amen. A special Thanksgiving offering for God. And again, we'll just designate it, especially to our building fund and our loan payment. But pray about it, church. And uh, we'll do this, God. And the Bible says God blesses a generous giver anyway, right? So I'm not worried about what you give and how much you give. It's the heart with which you give that really matters to God. That's it. And so I trust you. You pray about it and prepare as the Lord uh, as the, in the weeks to come. Uh, this season of Thanksgiving, like I said, it's just going to be. It's good to be grateful to God. Amen. So good to be grateful. A grateful heart is great medicine to our souls and our spirits. And uh, anyway, we're getting to the end of uh, the book of Galatians. And we're coming to the end of this letter. And Paul kind of writes his last, if you want to call it, his last few instructions to this church. Uh, his last few arguments, uh, if you want to call it arguments in terms of not arguing with them. But, you know, making his, like a closing statement that he's trying to make here. Again, it's a church, remember, it's a church that he started, and so he's, he's passionate and personally invested in this church. And so turn with me to Galatians chapter 6. We're going to go from Galatians chapter 6, and we're going to read from verses 7 through 10. 
Galatians chapter 6, 7 through 10, and as a, as a literary unit, this goes really well. It's a really well-packaged uh, unit, these few verses, and it connects what's gone before and what is going to come and where Paul is going with this. It says, do not be deceived. God cannot be mocked. A man reaps what he sows. Whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction. Whoever sows to please the Spirit from the Spirit will reap eternal life. Verse 9, let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Therefore, as we have opportunity, let us do good to all people, to all people, but especially to those who belong to the family of believers. It's kind of an interesting passage here because you can go so many different places. There's a lot to be said here. And I've kind of broken it down, uh, broken it down a little. And I want to focus on the, the first part of the first sentence a little. And, uh, you know, I might, do not be deceived. Do not be deceived. And I'm going to pull it a little out of context here because I feel there's an important point to be made there. Because I think it's related to what Paul is saying in in chapter 3, verse 1, if you remember, he says, What, you foolish Galatians, who has bewitched you, who has deceived you? And so the question as I was reading is, that is, can Christians be deceived? And I know we talked about it earlier. And yes, Christians can be deceived. If you think you can't be deceived, you are, I'm telling you, think again. And the reason I want to look at this is especially my conversation with, uh, with some people in the last few, if I can say weeks and months actually, because they have said to me straight to my face, I just feel the church has deceived us so much. The church has just pushed and controlled and, and deceived us that into following the rules and you know, and all these things, they've brainwashed us. That's another word they use. We brainwashed us, you know, believing in creation and all that stuff and the existence of God. And, you know, and, and honestly, th- there is a growing number of people that I meet that, that feel like the church has just used them into thinking in a certain way. And the whole idea of God, and they just feel that God itself, this whole idea of God is a whole... This whole idea is a big deception, that's it. It's kind of interesting how they say that this whole idea of God is created, and this has been going on for a while, the whole idea of God is created so that the church can control and manipulate people. Let me just say this. Here at our church, at least in Radiant Life Church, we will never even try to deceive or control people or manipulate people. We don't do that here. All we do is live by the word of God and preach the word of God unashamedly. But I want you to know this for sure. And if people come and talk to you, please know this. God will never deceive you. God will never trick you into believing in him. That's not the way he works. Yet there are so many people I've met that believe 
God has deceived them. And I agree with them sometimes. You know, yes, the church may have failed you because the church is human. But God will never, never deceive you. And here's the thing. Just have to have this at the back of mind. God, God will never deceive us. But here's the thing. There is a very real person, an enemy of our souls, who is all, his whole agenda is to deceive us. That's very real. Please don't ever get caught up that there's, that is just, you know, fantasy land. No, it's real that there is a person who we call Satan who will try everything he can to deceive you and trick you. Right from, I mean, think about it. Right from the Garden of Eden, he tricks Adam and Eve into eating that fruit. And he's called the deceiver. You know, he, he just feeds us lies and he will feed you lie after lie after lie and deceive you and trick you into what? Turning away from what? God. Turning away from God himself. That is his real job. What God intended for good, what God created for good, he just comes along and he tries his best to destroy. That's it. He's called what? The devourer, right? And how does he do that? By deceiving us. God has a plan. Please understand this because I've heard many people say, again, that God, you know, I'm just living my life and then God interferes and tries to ruin it with all these rules and everything else. Like, no, it's not what it is. It's not God who's trying to ruin your life. It's the enemy who's trying to ruin your life. God has a plan and a purpose for our lives. And yes, please listen to me. God is more than capable of taking care of us. But Satan comes along and tries his very best to sabotage and make our lives miserable. That's what he tries to do. I mean, he sends situations in our life that will crush us. He does that. He sends situations, he sends people in our lives that, are, that will crush us and then we get all freaked out and then he feeds us this lie. You know, and the lie is twofold basically. Is God real and does God really care about us? That is the biggest lie he feeds us. Because we can get over, yeah, this God, you know, there is a powerful being out there. Yes, it's God. But the lie that God does not care for us is so, I mean, that's something he always, it doesn't matter if you've been a Christian one year or a hundred years, he always puts that thought into your head. Does God really care? That's his lie. That's his lie. You're all alone. You cannot overcome the situation. God has abandoned you. Does God even care? Does he even love you? That's the lie. That's the deception. We need to be careful. You know, he makes you, he makes you look around in the situation around you. And he makes you freak out of that situation that you automatically begin to question God, whether God cares. So please be aware, God is not the one who deceives you. There's an enemy who tries actively to deceive you. Please hear me out, church. It doesn't matter how bad the situation you are in. God does care and he will always care. Just remember that. When doubts creep into your mind, remember this. God cares for you. God cares for you. Do not give room for the devil to deceive you into thinking God doesn't love you. Here, the devil deceives you, but here's another thing. The world will deceive you too. 
the world will deceive you. The Bible says, you know, we are in the world, but not of the world. It also says what? Do not be conformed to what? The mindset of this world. Amen. There is a deception that is out there. And here's the thing. There is the world, and then there is the kingdom of God. You've got to decide where you're going to live. You can't ride the fence. You either live in the world or you live as part of the kingdom of God. The world lives by a totally different standard. The kingdom of God, and when you live in the kingdom of God, you live by a totally different standard. And that standard is the word of God. Amen. We are part of God's kingdom and we live by the standard. And let me tell you this, the world will never understand this standard. They will never understand why we do and live our lives according to God's word. For them it's just an inconvenience. For them it's a burden to follow. But for those of us who live by God's word, it is enjoying the abundance of life that he promises. Amen. So don't let the devil or don't let the world deceive you and try to sell you all this stuff all the time. That only if you have a little more money, only, you know, they determine success and happiness by what? By having more money, by becoming more famous or now it is what? And social media is having more followers on social media. That's how they determine success. The number of people that serve them. But we know what the Bible says. We follow Jesus' example who says what? We come to serve, not to be served. Amen. That's the deception. I can go on and on and on because there are several, several examples. And I know I repeat myself, and, but I really can't say this enough. The only way to fight the deception of the world is, is, to, is by getting into the word. I say that again. The only way to fight the deception of the world is by getting in to the word of God. And we know what Paul is talking about here in Galatians. What's happening? Who's deceiving these people? It's other so-called Christians who are teaching them another gospel, a false gospel. And so that's, I think, I think as a pastor, and I'll be honest, I think I fear that more than falling and losing your salvation as such. I fear that you will, or the church as a whole, will be led astray by someone's gospel that sounds good but isn't fixed and focused on the real gospel. And we lose out on the real richness of what God has promised to us because we go chasing after something that promises us all this good stuff. That's not the real gospel though. Yeah, I said this earlier in the series. If the gospel is not focused on the cross of Christ, that's not the real gospel. What we have, and honestly, a, a diluted or a watered down gospel that tickles our ears and sounds so good rather than sound doctrine. So do not let the world deceive you. Please don't run after the spectacular instead of, and this is just so, I mean, this is every pastor's nightmare that we go chasing after all the fantastic, spectacular stuff rather than getting down and digging into God's word, which is an everyday grind, let me put it that way. Because we don't want, we want the easy way out. But dig into God's word. It is work. But the reward you get is amazing when you get into God's word. God doesn't deceive us, know that. There's a devil, a real devil, Satan, who deceives us. The world deceives us. And I think all these things kind of, kind of add up to the most deceptive thing of all, that we deceive ourselves very often. Yeah. We fool ourselves very often. We deceive ourselves 
very often into thinking. And I think that's where Paul is going with the Galatians, especially in this context. We, we deceive ourselves because we think that we are at the center of the universe. That's it. We deceive ourselves because we think we are in control of our own lives. We think we are in control of our own destiny. And that's what the world sells us. And that's what we buy into and deceive ourselves into thinking that way too. And at the root of it all, it's just pride. That's it. Nothing else. It's just pride. When we think that we're all that, when we're really nothing at all. Paul talked about it a little before in chapter 6. And the truth is this, we either have a really low opinion about ourselves or we often have a very high opinion of ourselves. What we need to have an opinion, <laughs> this is just the truth. Our opinion of ourselves need to be seen through God's eyes rather than our own eyes or other people's eyes. That's it. I've met people who, who are so challenged because they see themselves and are so... You know, they don't see enough good in their own lives. And sometimes I challenge them and I tell them, hey, I wish you could see your life through my eyes sometimes. Because what I see is just a fraction of what God really sees you as. I wish and I pray that you will be those pair of eyes to the people who can't look at themselves through their own eyes. That they that they will be challenged to look at themselves through how you see them and how you see them is how your father sees them or the father sees them. Don't deceive yourselves and believe yourselves. Again, of course, we deceive ourselves and fool ourselves, you know, that we can do whatever we want to with no consequences. We don't care about others because it's all about us at the end of the day. It doesn't matter who we step on, step over, who we wrong, who we beat out, who we curse out. It doesn't matter as long as I get ahead of the game. That's what it is all about today. It doesn't matter how many people have to step on as long as I get to where I want to go. That's the problem, the I in the middle of it all. Amen. Don't deceive ourselves into thinking that way. But think about what Christ wants for me rather than me want what I want. It's challenging, church. Time and time again, the Bible tells us what? Don't rely on your own self. What does it say? You know, trust in the Lord, not in your own understanding. Don't depend on your own abilities. Don't depend on your own strength. Just don't depend on you making it on your own because that's the deception. And don't buy into it. Amen. God doesn't and will never deceive you. The devil will try his best to deceive you. The world will deceive you try and lead you astray and don't listen to your own self listen to what the word of God says about you so that you will not be led astray from the truth do not be deceived God cannot be mocked a man reaps what he sows verse 8 whoever sows to please their flesh from the flesh will reap destruction whoever sows to please the spirit from the spirit will reap eternal life this is just a natural law, if you want to call it that. You reap. Just a natural law. You reap what you sow. I mean, you sow apples, you're going to get apples. You sow oranges, you're going to get oranges. But in the deeper sense, you cannot live your life however you want to and not expect it to catch up with you. You cannot abuse your body and expect it to hold up. You can't just be an alcoholic, a full-blown alcoholic, and expect your liver to not give up one day. 
You can't go without sleep and expect your body to be fine. That's just a, there's just a natural order of things, but Paul is going way deeper than that. Think about this again. Paul is talking about more, and it's so easy. Let me, let me put this. Paul, what has he been talking about? The law and grace. That's the emphasis he's making here. Living by the flesh or living by the spirit. There's the parallel right there. And so if you want to see it, he's saying it in this context. I know it's so easy for us to get into, you know, we're talking about all kinds of addictions and sexual stuff and everything else, and we just go off on that tangent. But I don't think Paul is, is limiting it to that at all. In fact, I don't think he's saying that at all. He's saying this, if you sow into the law, what you're going to reap is destruction that comes, the judgment that comes from the law. That's where he's getting at. And I think there's a definite play on words. If you haven't picked it up already, the flesh and the law, why is it connected? Because according to them, again, what is the law all about? Circumcision, flesh. That's the play he's doing. I mean, we need to pick that up. That's what he's talking about. If you get caught up with pleasing the flesh, following the law, you're going to end up in destruction and condemnation that comes from the law. But if you live by the Spirit... You gain eternal life, he says. Like I said, in Christian circles, we're so quick to make it about addictions and everything else. But I think Paul is more, if you read especially chapter 5, he's talking more about what he says, you know, in chapter 5, about biting and devouring one another. What is that verse? Let's just look at it real quick. Because... He said, do not, uh, verse 15, 5, chapter 5, verse 15. He's talking, okay, let's just go back to verse 13. You, my brothers and sisters, were called to be free, but do not use the freedom to indulge the flesh. Rather, serve one another humbly in love. For the entire law is fulfilled in, in keeping this one command. Love your neighbor as yourself. If you bite and devour each other, watch out, you will be destroyed. Drop down all the way to the last verse of verse 5, chapter 5. Let us not become conceited, provoking and envying one another. That's what he's talking about more. That's the emphasis that he's talking about. Let's not bite and backbite and everything else and devour each other in the, per in the, in the process there. We just get caught up with the big things. We don't look at the small stuff that are really eating us away from the inside out. Again, I don't need to rehash all these things because we know this stuff already, but I just need to hit on one point because growing up in our tra tradition, we were this whole doctrine of reaping and sowing and everything, sowing and reaping. I think we were so indoctrinated into this understanding that somehow, and I'm speaking for me at least, that somehow I was not going to make it into heaven or into eternal life because I messed up. We will always start with that fear. What if Jesus came right now? Goodness gracious. What if Jesus came right now and we all freak out? You know, we're so caught up in this doctrine and the teaching of the rapture and the mark of the beast and growing up, those left behind movies, great movies, but horrible biblically. Theologically, they're horrible. But we're so caught up with that, I got so scared. How many times, I can't imagine, I walked up, sneaking up just to check if my parents were still breathing, you know? Making sure I didn't get left behind, you know. God knows how many times I put my hand up to receive the Lord. Because every Sunday evening or Sunday morning, you know, I must have messed up. If Jesus comes right now, I want to make it to heaven. So let me recommit my life to Christ again. I don't know if I was the only one who grew up like that. Thank God. Man, that's horrible teaching 
Because we miss the whole point of the grace of God. It doesn't mean go do your own thing, but God is not looking, he's not coming back in the second coming, he's not coming back to pick up perfect people. He's coming back to pick up filthy, miserable wretches, of, and I'm one of them. That's who he's coming to get. It just, it just bothered me so much, and I still see that in the church so much. We make it so much about what we do, and someone put it this way. We talk so much about Christian living. We don't talk about what it means to be spirit living, because Christian living is reduced to this doing the stuff. I do the, pay my tithes. I come to church. I support missions and everything else. Yes, that's good stuff, but that's not living in the spirit. That's totally different. We're so scared. I mean, I'm I don't know. I was terrified about Jesus coming back in the middle, and I don't know what was going to happen. It was just, you know, and thinking about it, it's, you could have easily substituted. Christmas is coming soon, so my illustration will make sense. You could have easily substituted Jesus for Santa Claus in that song, Santa Claus is coming to town. Uh, coming, you know? You better watch out. You better not cry. You better not pout. I'm telling you why. Because Jesus is coming to town tonight. You better be good. He's making a list. He's checking it twice. He's going to find out who's naughty or nice. Because why? Jesus is coming to town today. He might show up right now. I'm scared the life of kids. Man, he sees what, when you sleep in. He knows when you're awake. He knows if you've been bad or good. So be good for goodness sake. What a wrong understanding of the grace of God. I mean, again, please. We will reap what we sow Please understand that we will reap what we sow. That's just a natural law. But in the spiritual sense, when we are in Christ, things change. And it hit me real hard this time. Because we, when we are in Christ, we don't reap what we sow. We reap what Christ did on the cross. There's a difference between those two. I'm not afraid to lose my salvation anytime I make a mistake. You know, whatever. We reap what Christ has sown on the cross and we reap eternal life because of what he did on that cross. Again, like I said, he's not coming back to take perfect people. He's coming back to take back his own who have a relationship with him. We've yeah. focused so much of living lives and Christian lives and doing stuff. We haven't taught people enough what it means to be deeply, deeply, deeply in love with Jesus Christ. Living by the Spirit of God simply means, and don't make a new law for Christians to live by. I've said this before. Let's teach them what it means to live by the Spirit. To sow, and that's what Paul is talking about. Spirit living is simply this, sowing in the Spirit. That's what it is. It simply means the same thing, to be filled by the Spirit. It means to be walking by the Spirit. It just means that you're preoccupied and dominated by the Spirit instead of running after things that make you happy. Instead of running after things of the flesh, following worldly ideas, you chase after the Holy Spirit and surrender totally to Him. Please hear me out here. We're not, you know, we are sometimes so scared to use grace that we almost totally ignore its work in our lives. I'm not saying you use grace as an excuse to do whatever you want to. Please, that's foolishness. But please understand, that is not spirit living. Spirit living is simple. It means being filled 
by the Holy Spirit, to be dominated by the Holy Spirit, to be walking, controlled by the Holy Spirit, to be conscious of Christ in your life, to meditate on His Word, to walk and spend time in His presence, to just be totally surrendered to the Holy Spirit of God. That's it. That's what it means for me, to be filled by the Spirit. And what's the reward, he says, when you sow in the Spirit? The reward is eternal, eternal life. Again, sometimes when we think about eternal life, all we think about is, you know, we're going to live with God forever. Yes, that's true, but I think more than just the time spent with God, it's talking about the quality of life that we're going to have with God when we get there. No more dying, no more tears, no more sickness. That's the appealing part. It's not just spending all eternity with God. It's the quality of life that we enjoy when we spend time with God in eternity. And he says, and Paul says this, and we know this, we get to enjoy that kind of lifestyle here and now when we sow in the Spirit. Sow in the Spirit. When you sow in the Spirit, you reap that other quality of life. It's that quality that we will experience in its fullness in eternity. Just seriously, for me to be filled, to be spirit-filled means a life of blessing. A blessing that is so rich and so abundant that, you know, you're on top, you have this joy, you're rejoicing, you have peace and you have love and all the, spirit, the fruit of the Spirit are just manifest in your life. That's what it means to be filled by the Holy Spirit. Of course, most scholars will tell you when he's talking about, you know, sowing in the flesh and reaping destruction, most scholars will tell you it's talking about unbelievers, not necessarily believers right there. I want to end with these last two verses, verse 9 and 10. Let us not become weary in doing good, for at the proper time we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Key words right there. Therefore, as we have opportunity Let us do good to all people, especially to those who belong to the family of God. As a pastor, I've met a number of people who've said to me, Pastor, I've been sowing for a long time. I've been sowing for a long time. When is the harvest going to come? When is the harvest going to come? But what does it say? Let us not be weary in doing good. For in the proper time, in the proper time, we will reap a harvest if we do not give up. Again, it's not talking about eternal life there. It's talking about the rewards and the blessings of living in the Spirit. Do not go weary of sowing to the Spirit. The word that weary is, is a word they use for farming. Who begins to, a farmer who begins to let off and, you know, because he's exhausted and because of fatigue, he starts growing weary. And Paul says, do not grow weary in doing good. I know a lot of, again, a lot of people who've said, I've, I've been serving the Lord for a long time at this church. I've been serving, you know, and doing this. I've been doing good for such a long time. Where is the harvest? 
Paul says this more than once in Thessalonians 3.13. He says, brothers, do not be weary in doing good. 1 Corinthians 15.58, he says, be steadfast, unmovable, always abounding in the work of the Lord. Keep it up, he says. In Hebrews 12, you know what it says? The author says, because we are surrounded by such a cloud of witnesses, let us throw off everything that hinders and the sin that so easily entangles and let us run with perseverance. That's always the theme. Persevere. Persevere. Don't quit. Don't go weary of doing good. And please understand, Paul is not just talking about good deeds as much as sowing in the Spirit. It's not about just giving that person a $5 or $10 or $20 bill or a $100 bill. It's about sowing in the Spirit. That's the good. We can't stop sowing in the Spirit because in time, God will bring the reward. In time, God will bring the harvest. Just keep going, church. It's kind of interesting because... He says in verse 10, as we have opportunity, and the Greek is a little more subtle. It would actually say, make opportunity to do good. Make time to do good. Why does good matter, church? Because Jesus says, and we know the verse, right? That your light shines so that people will see what? Your good deeds and what? Glorify God verse in 2nd Peter and I want to it's a very interesting verse in 1st uh, Peter 2 verse 15 uh, it says for it is God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people very interesting verse it's God's will that by doing good you should silence the ignorant talk of foolish people that's talking about people who are criticizing christians who are criticizing the way they live and what does paul say to uh, i mean what does peter say to that, that it's god's will to do what that when you do good it shuts their mouth up you know what james says faith without deeds is is dead make one last comment, comment I'm not saying don't preach the gospel or speak about the word of God all I'm saying is this if you are nervous about sharing Christ or say something you can start by doing something good bending over backwards maybe to do good because when you do so God will give you the time and the opportunity to say all that he wants you to say but it starts by being good and it says, be good where? To all people. Especially starting with those in the church. Sometimes it's easier to be good to the people on the outside, but the people within who we are around, it's kind of hard, you know. But don't go weary in doing good. Bow your heads with me this time. not be deceived there is this law this you know what you sow you will reap don't sow in the flesh that's chasing after doing your own thing but sow in the spirit 
flowing in the Spirit is being totally controlled by the Holy Spirit. And if you're a Christian, when you sow in the Spirit, you will one day reap a reward. But you can't quit. You cannot quit. Don't quit doing good. Because there is a reward. Look for opportunities like he says. Look for opportunities to do good. light shine before others that they will see your good deeds and glorify your Father or our Father in heaven. Father God, I thank you once again, God, that a reminder, Lord, that we depend on your grace and your mercy alone. It's not based on my performance, God, but it's based on my relationship that I have with you. I pray, God, that we will be people who are willing to sow in the Spirit, Lord. People who are willing, God, to be totally controlled by the Holy Spirit, Lord. Lord, and as we sow in the Spirit and As we do good deeds, Lord, I pray that we will not go weary, Lord. Not go tired, Lord. As we sow in the Spirit, Lord. Instead, give us the strength, Lord. Even though we don't see the reward, Lord, that we will be faithful. Paul says this at the end. I have fought the fight and I have finished the race. He didn't quit on the reward. God, I just pray, God, that you give us a new understanding, Lord. Opportunities, God, to share your love by the things we do.